I'm Stephen Hunley from IUPUI, and this is the award-winning podcast, Leading Improvements in Higher Education, a service of the Assessment Institute in Indianapolis. Our sponsor for this season is the Center for Assessment and Research Studies at James Madison University. This episode features three editors of a new stylus publishing book entitled Delivering on the Promise of High-Impact Practices, Research and Models for Achieving Equity, Fidelity, Impact, and Scale. Our guests are Jerry Deday, Jillian Kinsey, and John Zelvinskis. Jerry is a professor of sociology at IUPUI, where he also leads the Institute for Engaged Learning in the Division of Undergraduate Education. Jillian is interim co-director of the National Survey of Student Engagement in the Center for Post-Secondary Research at Indiana University Bloomington. And John is an associate professor at Binghamton University, State University of New York. I know you will enjoy a preview of this exciting new book during this episode of Leading Improvements in Higher Education. On today's episode, we have a conversation about all things high-impact practices, and we are joined by John, Jillian, and Jerry. And against the backdrop of that alliteration, John, Jillian, Jerry, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Stephen. Delighted to be here. Thanks so much, Stephen. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad all of you are with us as well. And as we begin, we would like to learn, as we always do, a little bit about each of you and your backgrounds. So we'd like to ask you to tell us briefly about your career trajectories, including what you do in your current roles. For this question, we'll first start with John, continue with Jillian, and conclude with Jerry. So John. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm John Zelinskis, an associate professor at Binghamton University, State University of New York. And I graduated from Indiana University, where I worked with Jillian on the National Survey of Student Engagement. In addition to studying high-impact practices, I researched the engagement of students with disabilities. John, thank you for that introduction. And now we come to Jillian. Thanks, Stephen. I'm delighted to join you today and to say a little bit about my background. I'm currently the uh, interim co-director of the National Survey of Student Engagement, and I work at Indiana University Bloomington in the Center for Post-Secondary Research. And most of my work has been studying educationally effective practice in colleges and universities and studying how we assess the quality of the undergraduate experience. So as a researcher, as a faculty member, as a scholar, as a consultant, as an accreditation peer reviewer, I've really been able to apply those perspectives in a variety of settings. And and in my work in academic affairs and student affairs, it's been a really great ride over the last 20 plus years Jillian, thanks for sharing all the multiple hats and vantage points and perspectives you're bringing to the conversation. Now we come to Jerry. Thanks, Stephen. Um, well, first, I'm your colleague at uh, Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis, uh, happily your colleague. Uh, I'm a professor of sociology, and I work in the Institute for Engaged Learning uh, here at IUPUI. What we're trying to do is, is um, promote high-impact practices and engaged learning experiences for students. Uh, I got into this uh, field uh, from the teaching and learning space. I started a teaching and learning center at my previous institution, and in that work, got into high-impact practices 
uh, attended the High Impact Practice Institute through AACNU maybe almost 10 years ago, eight or nine years ago, and got plugged into the, the great people like Jillian and John and others. And I'm just really uh, proud and excited to be part of this community doing work with HIPS uh, across the country and at IUPUI. Jerry, I'm glad uh, you are a colleague of mine as well at IUPUI. And in the previous answer, you mentioned AAC&U. They now stand for, of course, the American Association of Colleges and Universities. I would invite listeners to consult episodes in season one and two of this podcast, Leading Improvements in Higher Education, where we have conversations with colleagues from AAC&U. Jerry, let me stay with you for the next question. We, of course, will be spending a lot of time today discussing high-impact practices, otherwise known as HIPs. For listeners who may not be as familiar with these concepts, what are HIPs and why are they important to student learning and success? As you're describing all this, tell us a little bit about the group you're involved with called HIPs in the States. Jerry. So high-impact practices have been around for decades. It's only in the last 15 years or so we've looked at them as this collective of applied and engaged learning experiences. Um, Things like undergraduate research, service learning and civic engagement, internships, capstones, learning communities, first-year experience, uh, e-portfolios. There's there's about 11 of them listed on the AACNU website. Um, But there's a lot of things out there that represent really wonderful applied experiential learning opportunities for students beyond those 11. Um, But we know based on research that, that Jillian and her colleagues have done, along with John at the National Survey of Student Engagement, that... These experiences yield a ton of benefits for students in terms of deep learning, um, uh, really strong connections with faculty and staff on campus, uh, significant engagement. Uh, We know that they promote retention uh, and and stronger, better graduation rates. And we also know based on research that these high-impact practices um, benefit students who have been traditionally underserved on our uh, college and university campuses. So first-generation college students, um, black, and black and Latinx students. Um, when these students participate in more than one high-impact practice, we, we tend to see sort of a leveling of, of graduation rates. So they, they are a, a, a way of promoting um, greater equity in terms of student outcomes. But we also know those students are also the ones who are least likely to participate. And so we've got a lot of work to do, uh, ensuring that there is equity on our campuses and participating in these experiences. In HIPS in the States, High Impact Practices in the States, we started in 2017 as an effort to try and bring together educators and practitioners who work in high impact practices across the country, bring them together once a year and share best practices. What's working? What are we struggling with? How can we learn from each other? And how can we elevate and disseminate the the good work that's happening in the field? Um, And so HIPS in the States, we've had a couple of conferences uh, at three uh, universities um, in 2018, 2019, and 2020. Um, We actually had the last conference was like a month before the COVID-19 pandemic at Texas A&M. And we've recently folded HIPS in the States into the annual assessment institute at IUPUI. Jerry, thank you for describing high-impact practices, or HIPs. And in particular, you note these are a collective of applied and experiential learning opportunities that do several things for students. They, of course, promote deep learning, uh, student engagement, retention and graduation, and, of course, provide benefits to students historically underserved 
by our higher education institutions. Uh, uh, Concerning HIPS in the States, I would invite listeners to consult season one, episode 11 of this podcast, Leading Improvements in Higher Education, where we have a discussion with three colleagues from HIPS in the States. I also encourage listeners to access our website, that's the Assessment Institute's website, where you can link to AACNU and HIPS in the States, along with other resources. That website, assessmentinstitute.iupui.edu. So Jillian, your work as a leader at the Center for Post-Secondary Research and the National Survey of Student Engagement provides you a unique vantage point related to high-impact practices, or HIPs, as we're calling them. How do HIPs contribute to student engagement? Jerry was mentioning some of the ways. How do we know these evidence-informed educational interventions do, in fact, make a difference for students and for our institutions? Well, I'm happy to answer the assessment and research-related question associated with high-impact practices. You know, HIPs really did earn their name of high impact. You know, previously on Nessie, we actually called them enriching educational experiences prior to to really um, discovering the salutary benefits of high impact practices that you and Jerry have just uh, really enumerated for us. The but but the idea that these enriching experiences, these highly applied experiences, the high impact practices are both an expression of student engagement. There's they're a way that students can be highly engaged, and they're also a route to even more engaged learning, that deeper, higher order learning that you were mentioning as one of the benefits. So, you know, after discovering all of that as part of the Nessie protocol, our our usual examination when we ask students if they do these things, if and then to associate them with other elements on in the survey on, on Nessie itself, we see these benefits. So, you know, it's it's a really important route to engagement, and it's also an expression of engagement. And, you know, over the years, we've been able to demonstrate time after time with the results that we've had to show what a difference they're making in terms of students' personal gains and their level of engagement. The the one thing that I think is really important to talk about when we think about um, what difference these make for students and for higher education institutions is that um, we actually know that students enjoy doing them. They're, they're highly satisfied with these experiences. They expect to do them. Faculty enjoy doing them. Faculty enjoy working with students in undergraduate research and service learning experiences. We also know that employers value them. So from an external perspective, having employers who are actually uh, asking students if they've done these sorts of things and then valuing that in their hiring process is an important demonstration of the difference that they make for students. And of course, you know, it's it's a way for the institutions to organize themselves and to organize this work to provide better supports for students and faculty. And I think that's a real difference. Uh, Jerry's Center uh, for Engaged Learning is, is one such manifestation of that. How do we organize ourselves so that we can both improve and Uh, cultivate practice that is highly experiential, and then provide faculty the faculty development resources, the support they need to lead and 
and the staff who are working with students in these roles. I, I think it really makes a difference when we name practices like this too, so that we can organize around them and put them into the curriculum and, and ensure students have these experiences throughout their educational program. So I think it's um, really conveyed a lot of benefit to students from an educational perspective and also to how faculty view their work and then how the institution benefits. You know, one of the things that I think is really important to note about high impact practices is that I think it really brought some practices that were kind of marginalized on a lot of campuses into the center by uh, really demonstrating that the work faculty were doing sometimes, you know, uh, extra, way more than what they might do in a course-related um, kind of teaching experience, they were actually getting more credit for this by by us bringing it, um, by the, the, the HIP movement, bringing it into the center of the undergraduate experience. I think that's a real benefit um, that naming them high-impact practices has afforded. Julian, thank you. You're reminding us that high-impact practices or HIPs are both an expression of student engagement and a route to higher order learning. And you referenced the Institute for Engaged Learning that Jerry today leads at IEPUI. Jerry, as a follow-up, let me come back to you and maybe you could explain briefly for our listeners how these high-impact practices, these student-facing experiences are organized at IEPUI and perhaps where our listeners can learn more about your work at IEPUI. Jerry. Sure. The Institute for Engaged Learning was formed in 2017. Uh, We had lots of offices and centers on campus that were responsible for delivering high-impact practices. And uh, some of them were brought together into one institute uh, in an effort to try and identify efficiencies and scale high-impact practices on our campus for students. Um, So the institute was created when our first-year experience programming, our Center for Service and Learning, our Center for Research and Learning, our e-portfolio program were all brought together uh, in an effort to, you know, could could we do some some common programming? Could we identify some efficiencies and best practices and integrate them? Could we help students see a pathway from the first year experience to other high-impact practices like undergraduate research and civic engagement? There are high-impact practices that are not in the Institute that we partner with on campus, um, like uh, study abroad and intern but our website is, uh, it's very simple. It's get engaged, one word, getengaged.iupui.edu. Um, and you can learn a little bit more about the Institute and the different um, programs that we offer for students, some of the faculty development that we do. Um, a lot of the faculty development we, we do, we, we partner with our Center for Teaching and Learning, who have been a great partner in helping us with faculty development efforts on our campus. Obviously, for the last couple of years with COVID-19, a lot of faculty have been focused on teaching their courses in a hybrid or an online modality. And so we're looking forward as we come out of this pandemic, really energizing our professional development efforts, again, focused on high impact practices. Jerry, thank you. And in addition to getengaged.iupui.edu, let me also invite our listeners to consult a couple of websites that Jillian and her colleagues promote through their work. One is the Center for Post-Secondary Research. That website, cpr.indiana.edu. And the National Survey of Student Engagement, that website, nsse.indiana.edu. Jillian is also a return guest to the podcast, and I would invite listeners to learn more about both the Center for Post-Secondary Research 
and the National Survey of Student Engagement by listening to Season 1, Episode 7 of this podcast, Leading Improvements in Higher Education. So, John, we're going to spend a lot of time now talking about a new book entitled Delivering on the Promise of High-Impact Practices, Research and Models for Achieving Equity, Fidelity, Impact, and Scale. This, of course, is a new stylist publishing book due out in midsummer 2022. John, what was the impetus of the book Delivering on the Promise of High-Impact Practices? Who is its intended audience? And how is the book organized? And as you're answering all of these questions, let's also have you remind us why this publication is significant for the higher education community at this moment in time. John. The idea for our book came from a hallway conversation at the Hips in the State Conference. Uh, Jerry, a conference organizer, was remarking on all of the top-notch presentations at the conference and expressed a desire to feature this work in publication. From that conversation, the idea of creating a volume to cold. Our aim is to describe the premier work in HIPS for educators on other campuses. Uh, you mentioned the four sections of the text, that is equity, fidelity, scale, and impact. And while we were compiling the volume in the summer of 2022, it became clear that we wanted to challenge the audience of the book to think about how the last three themes can all work in concert to support equity in higher education. So when HIP designers or educators are thinking about, for example, promoting fidelity within these practices, right? Ensuring that quality is uh, in all of these experiences. We want to make sure that all students are receiving the same high level of quality for any of the HIP opportunities on campus, not just for students with the most uh, capital who can kind of navigate themselves into, you know, the premier internship or the prized undergraduate research opportunity, but make sure that the quality of experience is equal for all students who are making access of these experiences. Uh, next, when thinking about scale, um, higher educators uh, need to really think about who is participating in these high impact practices and making sure that both uh, students from majority and underrepresented populations are uh, participating in equitable ways. And then lastly, uh, when thinking about impact, you know, so really thinking about what is the overall outcomes related to these high impact practices, uh, ensuring that all students who participate in HIPS are receiving uh, similar benefits when it relates to things like student engagement, uh, academic success, and then ultimately for graduation. John, thank you. And of course, never underestimate the importance of those hallway conversations at conferences and the good ideas that can spark from them. So Jillian, in the answer to the previous question, John was, of course, describing the purpose, significance, and organization of the book, Delivering on the Promise of High-Impact Practices. I'd like to spend a few minutes walking through each of the major sections of the book, starting with part one, which focuses on advancing equity. So Jillian, tell us why you began the book with this specific topic, including some of the major themes expressed by the authors in this section? Well, it, there's no denying that equity is probably the most urgent topic in higher education today. And that's also true for a discussion about high impact practices. It's, you know, the, the idea of uh, achieving equity and being more equitable in our practice is uh, really stretching across all the domains of higher education. But I think when we're talking about something like high impact practices, these experiences that institutions are dedicating 
uh, resources to, where students are spending a good bit of time, uh, where we have faculty and staff dedicating their time to it, we really want to make sure that we're not um, being inequitable in our practice and that we are really attending to the issues that make these practices effective. So, you know, I think the the attention to equity and making that the, the first chapter was always on our mind, but it became even more apparent after the George Floyd murder and the other acts of uh, racial injustice that took place while we were working on the final chapters or close to the final chapters. And, you know, it, it seemed it's certainly the right thing to do to have equity be the first chapter that, you know, in a, in a linear, in a book like ours, you know, starting with what's important at the front, I think is always a good demonstration of what is important to the field. I think the other thing we learned as we worked through the topics of fidelity, equity, scale, and impact, we realized that equity is really um, in the service, or in fact, all of those fidelity scale and, and impact are in the service of equity. So, you know, the center of our, our idea of our framework for the book is really equity. And then fidelity scale and impact are in service of that goal. So, you know, we, we felt that it was important to set the stage uh, w- with equity in mind right at the outset and um, have that in readers' minds as they read through all the chapters. You know, one of the things we checked for in all of our authors' um, contributions was to make sure that they were addressing equity throughout their sharing their work. And, you know, so we asked them to pay attention to it and and they complied and some really did it to um, a significant degree. And I want to highlight a couple of the things that we learned from those uh, chapters in this section. You know, we, we felt it was really important to open this book with uh, a firm foundation in how do you design and think about equitable hips from a really a theoretical, a practical perspective. And we thought, um, Ashley Finley, Tia McNair, and Alma Clayton Pedersen uh, really have been talking about this for a very long time. They are noted uh, experts and authorities on the idea of designing equitable HIPs. So they, their work really lays the foundation um, for our model and framework. And then the subsequent chapters in this section, there are four others that really highlight a few more practical considerations. Uh, Adriana Kazar and and her colleagues uh, really describe a particular practice in the high impact practice that they studied. And it really um, is a explication of Laura Rendon's idea and theory of validation. And how do we help students uh, feel validated in their HIP experiences and also map to that? In the design, uh, we also have a chapter in this section on methodology and creating more uh, equitable methodology for studying HIPs. And Cindy Ann Kilgo does this uh, very expertly in that chapter. And then we have uh, two other takes, actually, that I think are interesting on equity. One is another equity by design that Denise Bartel and Carolyn Boswell uh, illustrate through their work on studying the first year experience. And then finally, a really, um, I think, complex model for assessing 
uh, high impact practices in the work of uh, Tai Nasaka and Heather Novak and Ryan Barone on uh, studying learning communities and how they centered equity and studied the experiences of their of students in their key communities who represent racial uh, racial identity. Uh, racially marginalized populations on their campus. So we've got some great examples. We've got a solid framework. And I think it will really be of assistance to, to institutions that are also trying to pursue this equity agenda as part of their high impact practice work. You know, this is all really about helping people improve both participation rates of specific subgroups and also to be concerned that we aren't perpetuating inequities in our practice. You know, there's there's a lot of good evidence of the benefit for uh, racially marginalized students, but there's always this lingering concern that we are doing the best we can, that we are not perpetuating inequities, and that we are not uh, making HIPs be a site for microaggressions. Uh, and we really want to do these well. If we're going to invest time and energy in doing them, we want to make sure that equity is a fundamental position of our frameworks and our design of this work. So that's, I, I know that's a long answer, but I just really think we can't dedicate uh, enough attention to issues of equity and high impact practices. Jillian, thank you. You're reminding us, of course, of why advancing equity is the first part in delivering on the promise of high impact practices, a new book from Stylus Publishing due out in midsummer 2022. And at the outset of your answer, you, of course, indicated that equity is the most urgent topic in higher education generally and for high impact practices specifically. Jerry, in part two of the book, we discuss the importance of assuring fidelity in the implementation and delivery of high impact practices. So what is meant by, quote, assuring fidelity of HIPs? How do authors in this section of the book encourage us to do just that? Jerry. Well, I'm going to build on what Jillian just said. If you've if you've ever gone to a, a conference, an AACNU conference or a Hips in the States conference, and you've had the pleasure of hearing Jillian speak or George Koo speak, um, you know, Jillian always talks about George whispering in the ear that hips are only hips when they're done well. Um, I, I think, you know, we can't just call something undergraduate research and therefore it is. Um, you can't do that with any of these high impact practices. You really do need to do them well. You need to do them with a, a degree of fidelity. Uh, you have to do them intentionally and do them in a way that honors um, what we're trying to do with students in these experiences. And so what we've tried to do in the second section of the book is really elevate examples where High impact practices have been done well, um, and there's data backing up that they've done these experiences well. Um, this this section of the book has six chapters, and it's it's a it's a mix of a variety of high impact practices. I think it's something that we're really proud of. Um, this section has a, a chapter on capstones, and there's not a lot of literature out there on capstone experiences. But Peter Felton and his colleagues at Elon University have done some great work um, with the faculty learning community looking at capstones internationally. Uh, and there's a chapter on capstones. There's one on uh, integrating service learning and learning communities. Uh, there's a chapter on internships. There's one on undergraduate research, specifically course-based undergraduate research experiences. There's a, a chapter on uh, integrating under, undergraduate research in a first-year experience. Um, and then there's a chapter, uh, a really interesting one, um, where the authors are 
um, scaffolding multiple high-impact practices across an entire curriculum using things like e-portfolio and collaborative learning, undergraduate research, and community-based learning and scaffolding these high-impact practices from general education all the way to the capstone. Um, so w- what these authors are, are doing is sort of elevating what, are, what is it that they've done to ensure that there is fidelity and quality in these experiences. If there's a common thread across you know, all of the chapters in this section is that you know, professional development really is important in this. We have to ensure that faculty have the professional development and staff have the professional development to, to do these high impact practices with the highest quality possible. Um, assessment and continuous improvement is important and obviously scaffolding um, to ensure that students you know, don't just get to a capstone course without having, you know, the, the, the necessary experiences prior to the capstone so that they could be successful in that experience. Um, there are, you know, there are examples of taxonomies. We have some at IUPUI. If you visit the Institute for Engaged Learning's website um, at getengaged.iupui.edu, we have taxonomies. These are frameworks for evaluating where you are in your um, delivery of a high-impact practice. We have taxonomies for service learning and undergraduate research and capstones and e-portfolio. And and ours are just one example. There are other examples of taxonomies out there. California State University System Office, I believe, has some. Um, I know Jillian and the National Survey of Student Engagement are working on uh, some some iteration of a taxonomy, um, looking at some of the key um, finding or some of the key elements of high-impact practices. But there are taxonomies that can be used to help you help you reflect on where you are in terms of your delivery of a high impact practice and what are some small things you could do to maybe make that experience more intentional deeper richer for for the students Um, but i think you know i think one of the things that we can't lose sight of is that in 2013 there was a publication by uh, george Koo and ken o'donnell where they outlined the eight key essential elements of a high impact practice and i think if we focus on those eight essential elements Things like setting uh, performance expectations high and significant investment of concentrated effort over extended period of time. Um, these eight features is a public display of competence and frequent and timely feedback. Um, I think we we really do you know hit the nail on the head in terms of trying to ensure that there's fidelity um, in these experiences. Jerry, thank you. You're describing the importance of assuring fidelity in high-impact practices, and you note in particular that it's important for high-impact practices to be, quote, done well. John, in part three of the book, authors encourage institutions to strive for achieving scale of their high-impact practices. So, John, what advice is offered to take what is working well and, say, one part of our campus context and scale it to other areas of the institution? How can we achieve scale while also maintaining a focus on equity and fidelity of HIPs that both Jillian and Jerry were referencing in the answers to the previous questions. John. It might not be surprising for your listeners to hear, um, but the main principles of organizational change are particularly relevant when achieving scale and high impact practices. In the volume, authors describe the ways they receive support for campus, uh, excuse me, support from campus presidents, identify HIPS champions among educators, and propagate widespread use through defined units, such as 
general education courses or within uh, particular academic departments. Uh, for example, uh, Dallas Dolan and her team from the Community College of Baltimore County, which is a two-year institution where a majority of students identify as Black, described the ways they incorporated HIPS into required first-year seminars. Uh, this in intervention improved the retention for African-American students while realizing the vision of the institution's president to embed HIPS to, to decrease equity gaps while increasing retention and success rates. As for maintaining a focus on equity, I often think about George Sanchez's work at USC, where he challenges HIPS stakeholders to answer the fundamental question, who is participating in HIPS? In the case when educators find an overrepresentation of students from privileged backgrounds, then changes need to be made. Uh, between survey information and institutional data, this question can be easily answered, but sometimes never gets asked. John, thank you. You're also reminding us the importance of achieving scale. And you mentioned some of the ways we can go about doing so, and they include support from leaders, involvement of colleagues, and leveraging of institutional systems and processes. So Jillian, you've been mentioning about assessment of high impact practices earlier in our conversation. The book concludes in part four with several chapters discussing the importance of assessing outcomes related to high impact practices. What are some of the strategies authors in this section recommend for assessing student learning related to HIPS? And what call to action does delivering on the promise of high impact practices leave with its readers. Jillian. Well, there certainly is a very strong evidence base for the benefit of high impact practices, but we wanted to push that a little further and really demonstrate some more robust, uh, strong scholarship on uh, high impact practices. So we want to strengthen assessment practice and we want institutions to study the high impact practices and their, the quality of their students' experience a little more deeply. And we want to subject the study of HIPS to, to more robust methods. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're delivering on that in the chapters that are reflected in this final section of the book, because we, you know, feature a couple of chapters that are really, I think, I, I know I've heard Jerry describe them as a, a HIP assessment on steroids in some cases, that, that the models that are here are potentially replicable at other institutions where you could say, I want to do something like what UVU, uh, Utah Valley University did to study the impact of their high impact practices, or maybe you want to replicate what we saw some researchers do uh, by using propensity score matching. So there could be some ways that institutions that are also interested in studying their high impact practices and, and assessing both their impact and quality could borrow these examples that are featured in the book. So, you know, we think there's a lot of uh, potential replicability in these models. And we also are featuring the, these particular uh, chapters and examples because they address a lot of the persistent challenges that have, uh, that have, that really vex higher education assessment overall, like the lack of of a control group, 
uh, the lack of randomized assignments. We're not going to probably get, put ourselves in a position to randomly assign students to HIPs, but there are some natural conditions in which that already occurs and also some ways to do it from a methodological standpoint. So it's great that our researchers use propensity score matching to essentially create that to try and isolate the impact of uh, for example, undergraduate research, study abroad, and service learning. So that's a device, that's a strategy to use to do that. The other one that um, I think is really great is uh, the University of North Texas uh, not only chose a different outcome measure, they were really examining the effect of an e-portfolio on promoting metacognition. And I think their use of a quasi-experimental design using logistic regression um, was really is really quite strong. And again, I think they're all potentially replicable and should inspire other institutions to think about how they might elevate their practice um, around studying HIPs. I think that you know the the other feature I want to pull out of this is that I think we uh, have some potential throughout the chapters. Uh, not just these in this section, to really ask harder questions about what is the impact on our uh, underrepresented populations and particularly on racially minoritized or racially um, marginalized populations. Of, and, and knowing more about that and um, both any problems that our assessments might reveal and expose and then how to address them. But I, I really think that we can strengthen our assessment practices to not only better demonstrate the value of high impact practices within institution, a variety of institutional contexts, but also to ask those harder questions about what populations are benefiting and how. So I'm really excited about closing with this uh, topic in our final chapters. Jillian, thank you. You're describing the strategies and resources readers can consider uh, replicating and adapting in their own contexts related to high-impact practices, all coming from the book, Delivering on the Promise of High-Impact Practices. For our concluding questions, I would like each of you to weigh in with your thoughts. What do you hope readers will glean from delivering on the promise of high-impact practices? What advice do you have for individuals to make a difference in their spheres of influence? And how can they garner support from others to promote HIPs in their contexts? We'll start first for these questions with Jerry, continue to John, and conclude with Jillian. Jerry. Well, Stephen, I think I need to take my own advice on the advice I'm about to give other folks. But um, we spent a lot of time talking about the four sections of the book. There's a great two concluding chapters by um, George Koo and, and Sean Harper. And I think those provide sort of uh, uh, an invitation for us to think what's next. Um, and I think the book does a great job of taking stock and pushing the field forward and challenging us to do some things differently. Jillian's summary of that last section of the book was fantastic and, you know, pushing our methodology forward. Um, if I had to put one suggestion out there, um, and, and again, I have to follow my own advice, is bring students into the design, implementation, and assessment of these high-impact practices. Um, bring students to the table and ask them, you know, how are these practices working for you? What are the unintended consequences? Um, are there microaggressions in these experiences and how do we address them? 
We've got some great students in our undergraduate research programming at IUPUI, and I don't see why they can't help us in designing assessments and helping us with the assessment process of these high-impact practices as well. Um, I think if we truly want to get quality when done well and we want to get fidelity, uh, with that that fidelity, if we want to get equity and we want to scale these experiences on our campus – I think we need, as practitioners and educators, need to bring students into the design, implementation, and assessment of these these experiences. So I would encourage all of my colleagues who are working in this space to maybe do the same thing where they can. Bringing students into the design and implementation of high-impact practices. Jerry, thank you. John, uh, what you hope readers will glean and maybe some advice from you. It's common for campus stakeholders to get overwhelmed when trying to develop PIPs that are equitable, high in quality, impactful, and at scale. Uh, In addition to guidance found in the book, I'm reminded of the advice from the late Pete Lipman, when Pete took over as the Dean of Students at Hofstra University, there was this flurry of excitement to update the student affairs uh, work on that campus, which was then matched with frustration that change wasn't happening fast enough. Uh, Pete, in a supportive way, would remind us Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, With HIPS, uh, educators should think about their five-year vision and build from there. Otherwise, it's easy to get lost and uh, overwhelmed. Um, When envisioning this five-year plan, I would challenge educators to really think about an equity-centered design. Um, Our authors in our first chapter, which Jillian mentioned earlier, Drs. Finley McNair and Clayton Pedersen write, uh, fit together as as pieces of a new paradigm, a paradigm that views learning as a shared responsibility and a common goal, that acknowledges systemic inequities, particularly across racial differences, are persuasive and endemic. And that supports the belief that transformation is a collective opportunity. At their very best, equity-centered designs of HIPS do more than provide new lenses and standards for student success. These designs reshape the lenses through which stakeholders view institutional success as well. John, thank you. You're reminding us that Rome wasn't built in the day. And likewise, uh, we need to take our time and plan and design hips effectively. So Jillian, you've been listening to John and Jerry. What are your thoughts related to these questions? Well, I completely support everything my co-authors have just said, and I'll just add on a couple of things to that. First, I really hope that the readers of the book find a community of practice in what they're reading in terms of other institutions and other scholars work. So if they're doing high impact practices on their campus, they're a a leader of service learning initiatives, or they're doing uh, capstone experiences that they find others who are pushing the best practice on both improving quality and achieving scale and doing good assessment and doing that important work of equity. So I hope that they find some a, a community of practice. And I, I think that also leads to my piece of advice then too, is that the thing that I would advise any campus to do to further support high impact practice work on their campus is to bring people together who are doing high impact practices or if they're interested in them. And Jerry's inclusion of students is really important to this this community. And to bring them together, whether it's to read the book or to read relevant chapters, but but just to ask them too, what do they wanna learn? Who might you bring into the room 
including faculty and maybe the institutional research staff and maybe some student affairs educators who might benefit from learning more about how to do this, advisors, people from career services. You could really expand an audience um, to, to come together and talk about what do we still need to learn about the high impact practices at our institution and our students' experiences and what might we elevate about our own practice in HIPS? What are we doing particularly well? And how do we make sure that more people on our own campus know about this beneficial practice? So for me, it's a, it's an opportunity to bring people together, um, to develop your own community of practice by learning more about how this community of practice already exists at, at so many institutions that are reflected in the chapters of this book. Bringing people together in community to support high impact practices. Jillian, thanks so much. We always end our episodes by asking guests to leave our listeners with a final thought. So we'd like to ask each of you to leave a brief final thought with us today. We'll start with John, then continue to Jillian and conclude with Jerry. So John, your brief final thought. Stephen, I'm really excited to meet with HIP educators at the Assessment Institute to talk about the book this fall. I'm really curious over the pandemic how HIPs have fared. You know, if they were luxury items that were deprioritized during the pandemic, or maybe on some campuses, they were found to be really impactful, relevant, and essential. It's been a difficult two years. So I hope your listeners are taking some time this summer to restore their passion for education. HIPs work can be exciting, challenging, and rewarding. But we have to start with self-care to engage with this work. Thanks for your time today. John, thank you. Next, our final thought from Jillian. Well, I certainly hope that uh, all readers and, and the listeners of this podcast really think about how we can make HIPS more possible for all students, particularly our underrepresented students, and how we can support faculty in doing this work well and doing it so that it is reasonable for their workload. I think sometimes uh, high impact practice can take a lot out of faculty's hide and can really be challenging to um, sustain on a campus. So I, I'd like to try and garner additional support for people who are investing in these kinds of practices. And to me, that's an important dimension. You know, I'll, I'll just say my, my final thought on this too is um, to really heed Sean Harper's advice about pushing the equity question. We need to know more about what our racially marginalized students' experiences are in high impact practices. And we also need to explore if there are other experiences on our campuses that students also consider transformative. Are there other things that our racially minoritized students, our marginalized students on campus, our historically underrepresented students, what are they doing on your campus that they consider personally meaningful and transformative? And how might we elevate and uncover some of those practices to make sure that they're sustained and given the attention that they deserve uh, in terms of all students' success? Jillian, thank you. And as I come to my colleague, Jerry, for his final thought, Jerry, let me also ask if you wouldn't mind if you could reference your two additional co-editors in addition to John and Jillian. Remind us who the other co-editors of this book also include. Jerry. Sure, Stephen. It was 
we're, we're, we regret they couldn't be with us today, but uh, Ken O'Donnell, uh, who's at California State University, Dominguez Hills, and Carlene Van Zandt, who was, um, who was at the University of Wisconsin System Office and is now at the National Association of System Heads. Um, there are two co-editors on the book. They the, Working together with these four other individuals was just really awesome, especially during the pandemic. And it was a really wonderful collaborative effort, as well as working with all of the chapter contributors. Um, it was a, it was definitely, a, it ended up being a pandemic project. Um, and we're just really thrilled that um, you gave us this opportunity to share a little bit about the book today. Um, I'll, I'll end with the, um, this final thought. As we come out of the pandemic, um, I think high impact practices were put on the back burner a little bit because of COVID-19 and faculty having to teach their classes online in a, in a hybrid format. But my hope is as we come out of the pandemic, there's an opportunity to re-energize the work that we're doing around high impact practices and with professional development of faculty. Um, it, it does offer, offer us the opportunity to um, reinvigorate the work. And I also think we, we should be looking for ways of, of elevating experiences that might not be part of the 11. Um, there are a lot of great experiences on our college campuses like student employment and supplemental instruction and a variety of experiential and applied learning that happens even, especially in divisions of student affairs. And you know, if those are structured appropriately, they can, they can have all of the essential elements of a high impact practice. So I would encourage our colleagues across the country to be looking around their campuses and finding applied experiential learning opportunities that students are participating in and, and elevating those as, as high, high impact experiences, assessing them and making sure that they're done well. Jerry, thank you for the both acknowledgement of your co-editors in addition to Jillian and John and for those concluding remarks from you as well. We've been speaking with Jerry today, Jillian Kinsey, and John Zavinskis, all of whom are co-editors of a new book from Stylus Publishing out in the summer of 2022, that book entitled Delivering on the Promise of High-Impact Practices, Research and Models for Achieving Equity, Fidelity, Impact, and Scale. We'll do our part to provide links to many of the resources mentioned in today's episode in the show notes of our episode. We'll also provide a link to the Stylus Publishing website, from the Assessment Institute's website. John was mentioning about the Assessment Institute this fall in October 2022. You can learn all about the Assessment Institute and link to a number of resources at our website, assessmentinstitute.iupui.edu. John, Jillian, Jerry, thanks so much for your time with us today. I really have enjoyed the preview of your new book. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. This has been Leading Improvements in Higher Education, the award-winning podcast service of the Assessment Institute in Indianapolis. Learn more and access other episodes at assessmentinstitute.iupui.edu. Our sponsor for this season is the Center for Assessment and Research Studies at James Madison University. Learn more at JMU. Dot edu slash assessment. Our podcast producers are Chad Beckner, Caleb Keith, and Shirley Yorger, with original music composed by Caleb Keith. If you know someone who might enjoy the podcast, 
please encourage them to give us a listen. We appreciate you helping to spread the word. I'm Stephen Hundley from IUPUI, inviting you to join us again for Leading Improvements in Higher Education.